Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Spirit of the Lord is here. That's really all we need. Amen. It is such a joy for me to be with you today. Um, you, many of you uh, don't know me, don't, uh, don't know anything about me. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment. But I know a lot about you, and I love you. Every time I'm here, I'm like, I need one of this staff to quit so I can have their job. <laughs> I mean that. They, I tell them all the time. I, I just want to come work here. I just want to come hang out here all the time. Because every time I'm here... I feel so encouraged. I feel the presence of the Lord. I feel the excellence of this place and, the, and just the love of this place. And I know that if you come to church here all the time, you may be tempted to think, well, this is this way everywhere in church. I'm in almost a different church every Sunday, and I can tell you, this is a wondrous place. Amen? So don't take it for granted. Uh, when you come in, you, you really create that. The staff and you together and the presence of the Lord in you, you, you're what creates that spirit of the Lord. Your hunger and your expectancy and your desire to see the Lord move and win. All, I mean, come on. I think all of Chicago ought to come to know Jesus, don't you? And I want you to know, you got enough. We're going to talk about that today, but my goodness. And I not only love you, I love your pastors, man. I mean, I love them, Pastor Al. I need to now... I asked before if Pastor Al would be watching this, and they said no. And that's good, because I want to tell you a story about him. <laughs> all right? Is that all right? I want to tell you how we met, uh, because even in that, there's the providence of God. We, we didn't know each other. I was a pastor in, downstate for 20, well, I've been a lead pastor. I was for 21 years. I've uh, been in the ministry since 1987, so I'm like 100 years old. I started right after the end of the Civil War. Um, love the Lord. My wife, uh, Leanne, and I have been married 38 years. We were, we were, she was three, I was four when we got married. So it feels that way. But I, we were at district council. And some of you may know Pastor Carlos Paniagua, pastors at Belmont. He and Pastor Al are great friends, and all of them great friends with me. Um, but I didn't know Pastor Al yet. And so we were at district council, and it was during the communion service. And how many of you know that sometimes the Lord will do some strange things to make your life intersect with others, and at the time, they may not be a lot of fun? And this is one of those, all right? So it's during the communion service, Pastor Al and Pastor Carlos on the back row, and there's an empty seat right next to Pastor Al, and he's turned to the left talking to Pastor Carlos, and he's opened his grape juice. And I, without saying anything to him, I didn't know him at all, I step into that, because it's on the back row and I'm, I'm doing some things, I step into that seat next to him without him knowing it, and somebody says something, and he, thinking that seat is open, he turns with his grape juice and pours it all down the front of me. And being gracious, he's like, oh, brother, oh. I'm like, oh, man, you know, and he's rubbing it in, you know, and I'm like, great, because that's what I needed, it wasn't bad enough. So basically white shirt now with purple. But that single deal, we started talking right there. And there was just instantly, before we were done, I said, Pastor, I don't want to be presumptuous, but this wasn't coincidence. And he said, man, I feel it too. The Lord's just, and our lives have been sort of linked together since then. I love Pastor Al and Pastor Christy. I love this family. I love their kids. I love being here with you. It's a good day. Amen. 
We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 in just a moment. I bring you greetings from Pastor Phil Snyder, our superintendent. Uh, before we go any further, though, let me, let me commend you for something. I'm in a different church every Sunday. One of my responsibilities is the health of our 285 churches across Illinois. And many of them aren't healthy. And many of our ministers aren't healthy. Uh, what you are doing with allowing, and I, and I say allowing, because you could be all up in arms, pastor's going to be gone three months. I don't get to take three months off of my job. I mean, all that junk that the devil would put in your heart, all right? The thing that you are doing, allowing him to take a sabbatical, it's extraordinary. You wait till he comes back. I'm telling you, that guy will be so filled up with stuff. He'll... If, if he doesn't just levitate around this stage, I'll be surprised. He's going to be so filled with the presence of God, so renewed, so strengthened. And as someone who was a lead pastor, listen, you have a phenomenal staff, but the burden of this place sets most heavily upon the shoulders of the lead, lead pastor. And I'm telling you, it can just drain, even, even serving in the middle of God's purpose and doing what God wants you to do still exacts a toll upon you. And I did it for 17 years before I took a break. And I'm telling you, the thing that you've done by allowing him to get away and refresh, you will reap dividends that are so much exponentially better than anything it cost you over him being gone. You will be blessed. Amen. So I commend you for that. Well, praise the Lord. Let me tell you just a little bit. And the only reason I do this is because I think you need this to, or, to understand the sermon. Uh, I didn't grow up in church at all. Anybody else not grow up in church? I was first generation church people. Uh, you've heard people say, oh, you the black sheep of your family. Okay, I was the white sheep of my family. They were all black sheep. All right. All of my brothers and sisters were alcoholics and drug addicts and, in, I mean, just a mess of dysfunction. I have six half-brothers and sisters, have no whole brothers and sisters. I have that many because of my mom's seven marriages. Yeah, that's a lot, all right? I think it was like do five, get one free or something. I don't know. She was after some sort of... She's still living. She, she was an alcoholic all of her life, got saved eight years ago on the front row of my church. Isn't that cool? I didn't have any real connection with her for almost 10 years, a long time. And now the most basic question that I'll get, she just recently moved back down south. She's 84. The most basic question I'll get from her, the most common question will be a phone call where she'll say, and this is so, this is just the Lord. She'll say, I was reading in Matthew the other day. Could you explain to me what it means where, because even though she's 84 years old, she's a brand new Christian in the Lord. And it's something when you get to disciple your mom. Amen. So the Lord is good. But I come out of that life of, of all kinds of dysfunction and broken homes and really didn't have any sort of what people would call a regular childhood. And it's just the hand of the Lord. My, I still am amazed at the woman that I married. She is so much better than me. All the ladies, you can say amen, because that's the way it is in every marriage, right? So much better than me. Such a blessing to my life. And this morning, I want to talk to you about that. I want to preach fairly quickly, and then I want to tell you about 
the most miraculous moment in my life, the biggest miracle, the most clear picture of the hand of God that I've ever been involved in. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, a, a message that I've entitled, as you see it on the screen, what are we creating? Genesis 1, 26, I want to read from a little different version, the New Living Translation. It says this, it says, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Would you say like us? Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. You see, when we come to the creation narrative and we get to the point where Adam is formed, there's a very important piece that I need to make sure you understand. I think you do, but we're going to set it in juxtaposition to something in a moment, and that is that Adam wasn't born, he was formed. And up to the fall of man, Adam lived in a sinless state. He was very much like God. When we see this about the image of God, we sometimes think that Adam looked like God. And I don't know that that's, there's any real issue with that, that. But God is not limited to this corporal form that we have. He's not, he doesn't, he's not limited to be in the shape that we are. So while Adam was perhaps formed in the image of God physically, he was certainly formed in the image, in the likeness of God, in his creative ability, in his mind, in his values, in his heart, in the way he saw the world, in the dominion that Adam exercised. Literally, the, the language in the Hebrew seems to indicate that when creation, if creation looked at Adam from a distance, there were times when creation sort of had to do a double take to see if that was Adam or God the Father. Their image the image of the father was so stamped upon Adam in his personage, in his, in his intellect, in his abilities, in what he was. He wasn't born. He was formed by God. And because he had no earthly parents and mankind had not yet fallen, he didn't inherit a sin nature. He was initially completely without sin. God passed on to Adam a portion of what he was. I, I've read that many times. But here's the interesting thing that, that I find in this as I was studying it. We're going to be in Genesis 5 in a moment. I want to show you a remarkable contrast. But one of the things that I want to make sure you know, first of all, is that God created you and I, all of mankind, with the ability to pass on a spiritual legacy. You were made by God to pass what you are into others, not just the way you look. And this isn't primarily about parents and children. It's, that's all applicable. But listen... Every room you walk into, you bring the kingdom of God with you when you walk in. You were created by God to replicate what you are in that place, in that time. You were created by God to replicate with the ability to pass a spiritual legacy. We were intended to pass on what we are. But when we come to Genesis chapter 5, I want you to notice something. This language in the King James when it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, that's repeated in chapter one and it's repeated in chapter three. And if you had asked me, I would have said, that's it. That's the only time you hear that language. This year, as I do every year, I start January the 1st and I read through the whole Bible in the year. If you'd like to join me in that, every morning I post about 4 a.m., I post a daily set of readings 
If you're not already doing something like this, Chicago Tab, you can join me. Go to Facebook, look for Pastor Roy's Bible Reading Group. There's about 275 of us that every morning I post the daily readings. If you stay with it seven days a week, it takes you about 15 minutes, you'll read through the whole Bible this year. We post comments and insights, and anytime I see something cool, I'll write it out. It's just a cool way to keep each other accountable. Pastor Roy's Bible Reading Group, you'll have to ask to join, but I'd love to have you be with us. But in Genesis chapter 5, listen to this. It says this, very similar language. It says, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. We were made to be like the Lord. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. And when Adam was 130 years old, here it is again, listen to this. He became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image He named his son Seth. Father, this morning, I ask, Holy Spirit, you do what I certainly can't do. I pray you'd awake. I love this song, Lord. There'd be something come alive in us. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would awaken something put in us by you, Father. We think that we are earthbound, that we are limited to perhaps the talents or the abilities or the maybe we think that we're the sum of our worst day, that we live in the shadow of our greatest mistake or perhaps what our parents were or perhaps the, the, the moments of opportunity that we miss. But none of that is true, Father. You awaken something today that we begin to realize, oh, Father, who we really are and what we're really here to do, Father. Stir Chicago Tabernacle to such an extent today, Father, that when they walk out of this place, oh, Lord, all of hell trembles because something in them has been awakened by the Spirit of God. Do it, Father. Only you can. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. This idea of passing on, we see in the creation of Adam, the passing on of a pure, sinless nature from the father into Adam. But then in this section of scripture, using exactly the same language, Adam made a son in his image after his likeness named Seth. Now, what's interesting about this is that this happens after the fall. The first time God's image gets passed into Adam But the second time, Adam's now fallen nature gets passed into Seth. And the reality is that Adam passed on what he was into his son Seth. Adam's sin nature passed from one generation to the next, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And you and I are living in the replication of one generation after another, after another, after another, passing a sin nature into each subsequent generation. And how many of you feel the world around us getting darker? Anybody? That's not that's spiritual. That's, that's not political. That's not geospatial. That's not any of those things. That is about a spiritual legacy of sin being passed that began in Adam, into Seth, into the next generation, into the next, into the next. It is a spiritual law that one individual passes on what they are into another. Listen to it in Romans chapter one. We hear about it. It says this, many years later, it says, Romans chapter one, beginning in verse 29, their sin, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, 
hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. I love this last one. And they disobey their parents. <laughs> Next time your kids act up, say, let me read you the list that you're in, boy. All right, murderers, slanderers, haters of God, and they disobey their mom and dad. You better straighten up. Amen? This idea that, that society has descended to this place where there's this, and, and let me, I had fun with the disobeying of parents, but listen to this. They invent new ways of sinning. That sounds like the world we live in, doesn't it? My goodness, I'm 57 years old. There are things going on today. If you'd told me they'd be a part of our society when I was a teenager, I would have laughed out loud. No way people will ever do that. And we're inventing new ways. What that is, that's the propagation of one sinful generation passing on an ever-increasing level of depravity and the ability to ignore the things of God and absence of the word of God and absence of the presence of God. And we get further and further and further and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin as a society. You feel it, don't you? So now we're, see, we're seeing theology. We're seeing the word of God come to pass as it always does in our world. This replication from one generation to another, it's etched into the fabric of humanity. We replicate what we are. I don't know if you've ever had your parents say to you, I grew up in a place like this, but you ever have your mom and dad, listen, don't do what I do. Do what I say. That's the dumbest thing anybody's ever said in the world. Amen? Listen, don't you do what I do. You do what I tell you to do. Come on. The reality is this. What one generation does in moderation, the next generation will do to excess. We can teach whatever we want, but the lives that we live get replicated and moved a little further in every generation. But it's not just parents to kids we, our society, we influence society. What we allow, the next generation will do to excess. It's happened throughout the history of the world. It's not anything new. It goes on and on and on with each generation replicating what they are. It began with Adam and to Seth, and we are living in the reality of it. It goes on and on until eventually society comes to the place that what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae becomes true. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says this. This includes you who were once far away from God, listen to this, you were his, say it, wow, enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. I don't know that I have any known enemies today, none that I'm aware of, but I can assure you, assure you that if I thought for a minute that the creator of the universe was my enemy. Whew. I'd do something, amen? I don't know if you, how you define hopelessness or terror or overwhelming, overwhelming adversity, but having God as your enemy, where God works against you, 
where God is opposed to your plan, where God is trying to stop what you're trying to start, where he's, he's resisting. Let me tell you, that's the, that's the epitome of futility for you to try to do anything with God as your enemy. But that's what it says, a society that moves generation after generation after generation further and further and then begins to invent ways of doing evil and then begins to pull others away from God. I think you and I can understand how that you become the enemy of God, Amen. Come on, anybody here? Say amen. amen. Enemies of God. Satan then celebrates thinking, I took their God-given creative ability, that ability that God placed in them to replicate what they are. I perverted it and I'm using it to destroy. Satan cheers because he's using what God intended to pass his legacy of godliness from one generation to the next. And he's now using that same vehicle to destroy mankind. God placed his image in them. And he empowered them to pass it from one generation, from one room, from one family, from one relationship, from one individual to the next. But I perverted that in the very first generation. I twisted that and I'm using it to destroy mankind. This world we live in is a product of the fallen nature of mankind being passed from one generation to the next over and over and men and women embracing that sin nature, living in it, then passing a worsening degree of it with each passing generation, with each passing relationship, with each new job, with each new room, with each new place they engage in, with each new sphere of influence and the world gets darker and darker and darker. Say amen if you believe it. But listen, I didn't come to tell you about what the devil's doing. Amen? Because listen, number two, when you and I were redeemed, and I'm gonna borrow one of Pastor Al's terms around here, your spiritual DNA was restored, amen? Yes, you did inherit a sin nature. Yes, the, the sin of Adam passed on to Seth, passed on to every man and woman, did come to bear upon you and I. But the moment that Jesus died on the cross and you through faith accepted the shed blood of Jesus, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. God reached down inside you and I and he began to rewrap something and your spiritual DNA changed. You were restored to something that Adam lost. And that potential of passing something on into someone else began to be renewed. And there's an amazing truth here. Listen, a copy. When Satan perverted and he copied God's system of passing ill-conceived Ill and sin and bad behavior and things that separated people from God, when he copied that, 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 that method, a copy is never as good as the original. Amen? And the moment that you became a child of God, a son, a daughter of God, your potential to pass on the kingdom of God was renewed. And while you think that this world and there's no hope for those around you and the lostness and the, and the sin and the, the people around you that are degrading more and more into it, I want you to know that the power of God through you is greater than the power of God or the power of Satan in this world. Amen? Your potential to replicate the nature of God has been restored. It's no longer about you. It's no longer about your ability or your intellect or your degrees or your money or your position. God will use all of that. It's about the nature of God that now lives in you. 
God is all about those who don't know him. You, you, you may be today the only taste of heaven they're going to experience. Listen to what, just real quickly, some scriptures that speak about this replication. Philippians 4, 9. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Say stand firm. Come on, don't quit. Stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. And finally, Matthew chapter three, verse eight, prove, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Come on, prove by the way you live that you've been transformed. Now, all of that being said, number three, the spirit of God in you is greater than your fallen nature if you choose it to be. You see, I love that line in that song that Annie sang about, or that piece that she sang about the, about the light. Something about us absorbing, or what was it? We, like we suck up the light. I love that. That light, that life, that joy, that peace, that rest, that wisdom, that self-control, you bring that into every room you walk into if you want to. You see, this world desperately needs the people of God to remember who they are and what they're called to do. You are purveyors of the kingdom of God. You, you may be working hard to make a living and raising children, but your first and primary commission, the moment that you accept Christ into your life, is to be an ambassador. Paul said in Corinthians, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though he were making his appeal to the world through us, and he is. Every room you walk into, if you will allow him to, the kingdom of God walks into that room. The authority of Jesus walks into that room. The joy, the peace, the life, the goodness, the restoration, the hope, the rest of God flows into that room when you walk in. Or it doesn't. So I go back to my question. What are you creating? You pass it on a nature every day. You say, oh, no, that's for those called. Yes, for all of those called. Every room you walk into, you're going to create something. Every, every traffic jam you're in, you're creating something. Every business transaction you're engaged in, you either bring the kingdom of God or you'll bring the kingdom of darkness. Every relationship you're in. Some of you are saying, man, if I just had a better wife, if I had a better husband, I could be all that God has called me to be. Listen, they're praying the same thing. Come on, quit waiting on them. You recreate the kingdom of God in your relationships. You speak life to your relationships. You're called. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. I spoke about the light a moment ago. He said, you, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Come on, you were intended by God to light up every place you go. Replicate the kingdom of God. 
Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see that they might applaud and know how good a Christian you are. Really? No. So that they might praise your heavenly Father. You see, by you replicating the kingdom of God, they are drawn to the presence of God. God created you to bring the light of the kingdom of God into every life you touch. And you might be tempted today to think that you don't matter. I've kind of hurried to get to this point because I want to tell you a story. And the reason that I told you part of my story is so that you'll know where I started. You see, I have no doubt that there are some of you here today that you, you could tell a story that would make mine and go, oh, you win. <laughs> you, you got it. Many years ago, when I became the district youth director of a district, there was a trip on the books. We were sending a missionary, one of the very first missionary families, to Mongolia. Not long after the Soviet Union had fallen, and Mongolia had become open. My predecessor was supposed to go and assist them with some things, and because I had taken the office, they said, okay, you, you need to go to Mongolia. All right. I'm from a little bitty tiny town of 3,200 people. All right, Some of you live in, in neighborhoods that have more than that. Probably all of you live in neighborhoods that have more than that. 3,200 people in my hometown. My uncle was mayor for 36 years. My dad was a county tax assessor. My grandpa ran the water department. What that really means is that anything I did, the whole town knew. All right? I come from a little bitty town like that. And they said, you need to go to Mongolia. I think my first question was, where's Mongolia? <laughs> to give you an idea of how far I'd become the district youth director. I'd been in office about six months when this happened. In order to go at that point in time, because the Soviet Union had just fallen not long before, there was no real immigration customs in the country. I had to send my passport to the Mongolian embassy in New York. It took about five months to get the visa. Finally got the visa. I flew from Little Rock, Arkansas to Dallas, Dallas to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Taipei, Taipei to Beijing, and Beijing to Ulaanbaatar. You can't fly in from anywhere to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, straight. Had to spend the night, spent the night in Beijing. Just a little side note. Um, I, loved, I love Chinese food, and I thought, I'm going to eat Chinese food in Beijing. I went down to Tiananmen Square. I didn't even know how to say yes and no in Chinese. I ate at McDonald's. <laughs> it's the only thing I recognize. It's a sad, sad state. I got to Ulaanbaatar. Mon missionary met me there. And... We only just had begun to get missionaries into there. I was going to help install some sound equipment and help the missionaries there in the very first ministry center, very, very first Christian mission work in Mongolia, in Ulaanbaatar, in many, many, many years. We got there, and because of the newness of the Soviet Union having pulled out, there was no, there was no customs or immigration at the airport. You had to go the next day, you had to go downtown to a centralized office where you had to register your presence. 
So the missionary said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you down there, but I'm gonna be, we're going to be leaving to go back home for a few months the day before you do, and when you're here for an extended period, they keep your passport, so I'm going to go down and get my passport, and they know us to be missionaries, and there's a lot of persecution for any sort of Christian work. It's a, it was a militant Buddhist place at the time. And they said, I, he said, I don't want them to know you're with me. So I'm going to go in first, and then you wait about five minutes, and you come in. They'll, they'll speak a little bit of English, not much, but that'll actually be to your benefit. Just tell them you're a tourist, and get your stamp, and then go back out, and I'll meet you at the car. I said, okay, great. I don't know you. He goes in, and I wait about five minutes, and I come in, and he's, there's a long line of uh, these, like an old-timey bank kind of a deal with glass with a little slot, and there's probably about eight of them. He was at the, the missionary was at the very far one on that end, and I just happened to end up as far from him as I could be at the very first one down here. And the lady is asking me in very broken English, and I'm trying to tell her that I'm just here for a week, I'm a tourist. And all of a sudden, that guy, Brother Mike Luton, who was the missionary, he starts in a loud, excited voice, he starts pointing at me, and going, that guy, that guy right there, that's the guy right there. And I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know you, and I'm not going to jail in Mongolia. You know, I'm, I'm trying to pull off my best, I don't know you act. And the lady behind the glass that's helping him stands up, and she sort of a scowl on her face, and she motions to me to come down here, and I'm like, dude, what are you, what are you getting me into? I was living in Conway, Arkansas at the time. The University of Central Arkansas is right there, large, uh, you know, state school. I walked down there to him, and he says, tell this guy what you just told me. Tell him what you told me. And I'm like, uh, do, I, do I know you now? It's kind of like that. <laughs> he says, tell him. He's talking to the lady. Tell him what you just said to me. If you think you don't matter. She says, I have a sister. Very broken English. She said, I have a sister, one of only four Mongolian students at that time, studying in the U.S. This was many years ago. She said she's basically an exchange student. Remember, this is when the Soviet Union still had control of Mongolia. She said, studying in the U.S. She said, and we haven't had, because when the Soviet Union pulled out, they, they sort of disconnected everything. There was... Most places didn't have running water. They didn't have heat. They, did, they didn't have phone. They didn't have, there wasn't any internet back then like we have now. There were no cell phones yet. She said, and we haven't had any contact with my sister in two years. We don't know where she is. or We know where she is. We don't know how she's doing. We've had no contact. She's had no contact from us. And he said, no, no, no. Tell him what you told me. And he said, tell him where your sister goes to school. And she said, oh, my sister goes, and she said it wrong. She goes to school at the University of Arkansas Central. All right, guys, the house that I was living in, I could walk out and look down the street, and I could see the administration building for UCA. Now, I'm on the other side of the world. And you might think that that doesn't mean anything. She said, would you, would you take some things and mail them? I said, no, 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 ma'am. She still didn't understand. I said, I live right there. 
I'll find your sister. And if that weren't enough, the rest of the week went on. She agreed to find me. I didn't know how she was going to do it. But the night before I was supposed to fly home, I come back to this little concrete block building that they called the White House. It was a hotel. But don't think hotel. Think, I don't know, very tiny little building, funny moment. The room that I was staying in, you shared a bathroom with everybody else. It was only about five rooms. And they had a little kitchen where a little Mongolian lady, part of the room was breakfast. But I, I didn't know yes and no in Mongolian. So the first morning I walked down, this little Mongolian lady, and I could tell, or I presume that she's asking me, what do you want for breakfast? Well, I don't know how to say yes in Mongolian. And she doesn't know how to say one word of English. And so she keeps asking me, and she's saying the same phrase, and I'm, you know, I'm like, and she's getting frustrated, and I'm like, Lord, could you just supernaturally drop Mongolian down in here? He didn't, all right? She asked me about the fourth time, and I thought, and, and listen, the Holy Spirit, will, he'll take care of you. I looked right at that lady and did this. I went, buck, 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 buck. She lit up, and I had eggs every day after that, all right? Come on, you can, you can get by if you have to, all right? That's where I'm staying. The night before I'm to leave, I get back to that missionary drops me off. I'd sort of forgotten about this because it wasn't that big a deal. You know, it's a coincidence at that moment, right? I walk upstairs and that lady is sitting on the floor by the door to my room. And she's holding in her lap a shoebox. And I walk up to her and I, I greet her. She speaks fairly good English, but broken English. And she said, you will mail this to my sister. And I said, no, no, no. She still doesn't get it. I said, no, I'm going to go find her. She had her name written on the top of the box. She had an address like I was going to mail it. I said, I'll go find her. She lit up and she so she opened this box. And now this was a place where you couldn't buy bread. There was nothing in the stores. How she got what was in this box, I will never know. She opened this box, and inside that box was a brand new pair of pink high-top Converse All-Stars. And four brand new U.S. $100 bills. The last two things, though, were the most remarkable. There was a stack of letters about an inch deep with a rubber band around them from mom and dad and from relatives and from loved ones. And each one of them had the girl's address on it. And then she reached down in that box, man, and she pulled out a stack of business cards, about an eighth of an inch deep with a paper clip on it. Remember, we were struggling to get people into Mongolia, missionaries, to tell people about the Lord. She turned that business card towards me, and she said it just like this, little old nobody kid from Lake Village, Arkansas, a product of sin and Something got passed on that certainly wasn't usable from the Lord. She turned that business card around at me and she said, just like this, you come back to Mongolia, yes? And I said, oh, I would, I would love to come back to Mongolia, but I, I don't know if I'll ever get to. She said, no, 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 you come back to Mongolia. Forceful now. She said, you or anyone from your organization want to come to Mongolia? She said, you contact me. She said, I the one who approved visas.
I took those stack of business cards and I gave them to the, to the missionary that was going to remain there. And to my knowledge, that began a relationship that allowed us to get missionary family after missionary family into Mongolia. You think you don't matter. You think that the Spirit of God can't put you where you need to be at the moment you need to be there. Now that's a remarkable, up to there, I would think that's enough. But I got home, jet lagged, I called our Chi Alpha missionary. Chi Alpha is one of our college missionaries. His name was Noble Bowman. He worked under me. And I said, Noble, he's the missionary there at, Chi, at the university. I said, Noble, I need you to find somebody. I still, this has been almost 30 years ago. I still remember her name. Her name was Atunchi Meg. I said, can you find this girl? He said, yeah, give me just a minute. I'll, I'll call a registrar's office. They probably wouldn't do this today, but back then they did. He called me back in like five, five minutes. I'm going all the way around the world to find this girl. And I know where she's at. Come on, you don't, you don't think God knows where they are? You don't think he knows how to position you and to take your brokenness and your lostness and, and the death that the enemy tried to replicate into your legacy and to redeem it and to use you to build his kingdom? Come on, he, he knows how to do stuff, man. He said, she's in this, we go to this dorm, we go to this girl's dorm. It's still surreal to me. We walk into this dorm, we walk up to the RA that's on duty there. And I said, ma'am, I, I know you don't know me, but, but we're looking for a girl from Mongolia. Do you know her? She says, dude, there's only one girl from Mongolia in this place. We all know her. I said, could, could I talk to her? She said, yeah, hang on a second. She turns around and hits a button on an intercom in like five minutes. Six blocks. Six blocks from my house. Sends me literally on the other side of the globe. And she's six blocks from me. How many are six blocks from you? How many times could the Lord replicate his kingdom in your heart and position you to speak life and peace and joy and the kingdom of God into their lives? She walks down the stairs. She walks over to that girl and she says, those two guys are, remember, she's got, she's got no idea we're coming. They don't know you're coming. She walks up to me 30 years later. Mm. She says, she speaks really good English. She's been studying here for two years. She said, can I help you? I said, are you a Tunchy Meg? She looks at me with a puzzled look on her face and she says, yeah. I said, I know you don't know me. I said, but my name is Roy Rhodes. And I just got back from Ulaanbaatar. And this is from your sister. She opens that box. She grabs those letters. She drops everything else. Clutches those letters to burst into tears. Falls to her knees. And in that moment, the kingdom of God explodes in God's love for her. Come on, you don't, you don't think you matter? You don't think God can position you and use you? I want you to know that if you will allow the Lord to do what he does, come on, and you begin to create the kingdom of God in the room, you begin to open your eyes and you begin to say, oh Lord, Lord, if you could use that guy, use me.